Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Bill Engvall is a Grammy-nominated comedian from Texas who made up one-fourth of the mega-successful Blue Collar Comedy Tour, alongside Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, and Ron White, touring from 2000 to 2006 and making a sketch comedy show together. Since then, Engvall also has starred in multiple solo stand-up specials, his own TBS sitcom, The Bill Engvall Show, he made it to the finals of season 17 of ABC's Dancing with the Stars, and he's had a recurring role on Tim Allen's Fox sitcom, Lax Man Standing, in the role of Reverend Paul. He's put out his own podcast, My Two Cents, as well as weekly videos to his followers called Sunday Morning with Bill. In the summer of 2021, Engvall announced he'd be embarking on his final comedy tour, announcing his retirement from stand-up after more than 40 years. But you'll still see him in the new reality TV series, Blue Collar Auction, and Engvall sat down with me to talk about his career and the lessons he's learned along the way. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Has radio gotten any easier over the last um, 30 years? It's been, it's gotten easier in the sense that I've learned how to, uh, to what I do, what I call good radio. Uh, I think one mistake that, that, that some comics make is they don't want to do their material on the air because they're afraid then everybody's heard it. And I'm like, you're on for two minutes, <laughs> three minutes max. You're, you're okay. You're okay. And you know, the, the thing that is, any radio person will tell you that what they hate is the yes and no answers. Like, so you're on tour now. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's the, what what do they, you know, they, they talk about how comedy is like jazz. It's not, it's not the words you say. It's the spaces between the words. Yeah. I I will tell you this, that it has not gotten easier getting up early. Do I, I remember early in my career. Oh my gosh. I would do these things all the time and it never bothered me but as i've gotten older it's like oh i gotta be up at what Five thirty. although in radio of course it doesn't matter what you look like uh exactly so that leads into my uh my first and perhaps hopefully last trivial question so the promotions the promotional material for your tour a lot of it you're clean shaven but as I can see now, you are you are fully quaffed. Yeah. Uh, do, you, the, do you feel the, Do you feel like you're a different comedian with facial hair than without? Um, you know, I've actually wrestled with this. Uh, I like the beard, but sometimes it hides uh, subtle facial expressions. Okay. Uh, but uh, the wife likes it, so guess who gets number one vote? <laughs> and then, of course, the less trivial question is. I wasn't aware you could retire from stand-up comedy. Um, you know what, Sean? I'll tell you what's happened. Uh, when I started this 42 years ago, 
A, it's lasted 41 years longer than I thought it would. Uh, I never had any idea that, that life would be where it is today. Uh, but I always knew at some point it was going to end one way or the other. Uh, and what I wanted to do was to always go out on my terms and, you know, the show's great. Uh, I'm healthy. My wife's healthy. Our family's good. And you just know, uh, I've thought about this for a while. Uh, you know, this was not an overnight or nor an easy decision to make, but I'll tell you what happened was when COVID hit and I wasn't able to do a show for over a year, when the shows finally started going back online, I realized I caught, I found myself not being as excited as I thought I'd be to get back to work. Interesting. And, uh, you know, and listen, you've been to shows. I've been to shows where you thought at the end of the show, they should have stopped last year. <laughs> um, I, I, I never want to be that guy because I've got the greatest fans on the planet. They've supported me for 40 plus years and I never wanted to cheat them. Uh, I, 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 if I, it couldn't go out there and give it my all. Then, then I knew it was time to step away. The other thing is that uh, it's gotten to be, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words to put it. I just, you know, people see you on stage and they think, oh, what a great job. You know, you're making people laugh. And they're right. For 90 minutes, I got two to 3,000 new best friends. But then they all go home and you got 22 and a half hours in a red roof inn or a holiday inn or whatever. And I don't care what anybody says. The road takes years off your life uh, just to fly in and to being away from family and uh, and all that. So I sat down with my wife and I just said, it's time. And she's like, I'm good with it. So uh it's, but I will tell you this. I mean, I'd be lying to say if, uh, there's going to be times I'm going to miss it uh, because the standup is one of the most wonderful venues to, to that I've been blessed and honored to be a part of for a long time uh, because it's comedy is uh, on a personal level. Uh, you know, you can go listen to a band and they may play a song you don't like, but you know, maybe the next one you'll like with comedy uh, as you well know, if you if they don't like your material, they don't like you. They don't like the way you think. Uh, it, you know, some people take it, and and I think also, buddy, the the world has changed. Uh, you got to worry so much about whether someone's going to get offended. And you know, my show is probably as, as innocuous as it can get. You know, I'm, I'm I always said I was that uh, that that yellow stripe down the middle of the road, and but yet. Uh, I just find, and I don't want to waste my energy on worrying about is someone going to be offended. I, I you know, comedy, you've got to do it from the heart. And, uh, and, and for lucky for me that most of that time I've had great shows and people have liked what I did, but it's, uh, it's time. It, you, you just know it's time to, to call it in. Was that, was that time that you were forced away from the stage in 2020 due to the COVID lockdowns? Was that what inspired you to start your Sunday morning with Bill videos? Or had uh, you been doing no, those before? I had started that before. Uh, I, uh, I had a, uh, a really strange experience. Uh, it was wonderfully strange. Uh, and I, I, there was, uh, when I was on Tim Allen's uh, uh, Last Man Standing. And you played, played a reverend on that. Yeah, I played his character, Reverend Paul. 
And, you know, I played a lot of characters in my career, but this one felt really good and I liked it. Uh, and so after about the third or fourth time I'd done it, I have a, a friend who's a retired Episcopalian priest. And I said, hey, do you got any books like uh, Theology 101 or Theology for Dummies or whatever? And he said, yeah. And I, so he got me these books and I started reading. I found I really dug theology. I know what it ever asked me about. I'd never taken a foray into that field. But I really found the history of the Bible to be fascinating in that how does a book that's all about love and uh, caring for each other been the source of so many bloody battles and and heated discussions? Uh, and I, I was intrigued by that. And so uh, I decided uh, – so one night I'd been reading the books, and uh, my wife and I were in bed. She was sound asleep, and I was just kind of laying there, kind of in that nether sleep. You know, and I wasn't awake, but I wasn't asleep. Mm-hmm. And as clear as I'm talking to you, I heard a voice say, now you're doing what I want you to do. And I enrolled in Grand Canyon University. I just finished uh, – getting my bachelor's in uh, Christian studies. Uh, I'm going to go back and do a, a course on counseling. And uh, that was what inspired uh, Sunday mornings with Bill, which I really love doing. And uh, it's amazing the number of uh, people that tune in for it. It's just a 10 minute little inspirational thing. And I make it very clear to the listeners uh, that this is just what I think. I'm not forcing you to, I'm not trying to get you to change your beliefs or whatever. It's just what I how it hits me and how it affects my life. Uh, and it's been very successful. I've been, uh, it's funny if I miss a week, uh, you know, people, Hey, what happened? I was, you know, I, I was waiting for you to come on and uh, listen, am I going to go be a pastor somewhere? Probably not. <laughs> it wouldn't be the craziest idea though. It wouldn't be the craziest idea, but, uh, and I, you know, you never say never, who knows what's going to come out of this, but uh, I really enjoy doing it, and uh, and I think people kind of like my stand-up in the sense that when I'm on stage, I'm having a good time. So I think people watch it and they go, well, if he's having a good time, I guess I'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but it's, it's been something that that kind of came out of the blue, too. And I was, I was more nervous about that because, you know, you don't, when it comes to religion and, and faith and stuff, people get their – they dig their heels in and uh, – there was a part I was a little worried about what people would think, but I think because I just speak from the heart and uh, just tell them what I think and you're free to think the way you think, but this is what I think. Uh, I think people appreciate that. Right. Um, you know, the, the thing about the the pulpit too is it's not that different from stand-up comedy because the, the preacher gets to have a tight 20, 25 minutes every Sunday to, well, my friend told me when he was a monologue of the- <laughs> one of the rules I've had, I kept was from my friend when he was in seminary, he had a professor say, <clears throat> what you need to do as a pastor is keep it to about 10 minutes and keep it about God. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's about all people really, you know, they just, people just want something to, to be, start their week off on, you know, something positive and as you well know, you know, we've been inundated with just negative news over the last year and a half, two years. And I think people just want something to hold on to. And I hopefully can provide that for them. Let me, let me take you way back then back to maybe the, the early nineties or you tell me I, I was reading about, well, first I listened to a podcast with JP mm-hmm. And then I also read uh, this old New Yorker piece where you talk about how you got involved with, with JP and the blue collar 
thing to begin with. And, and you had, you've been quoted there saying that you were headed for divorce and alcoholism when JP became your manager and that he resurrected you, uh, which is yeah. a pretty heavy term in itself. I think, uh, you know, Sean, I, yes, you're, you're, it's exactly right. Uh, when I was in the clubs, I had a drinking problem. Uh, and it wasn't like I was drinking because I enjoyed it. Uh, the road is so hard and so lonely. And so what would happen is you would drink just to kill the next day till you had to go to work again. And I tell you, uh, there was a defining moment in my career. And thank the Lord above that I was able to get hold of it because it was not headed for a good end. Uh, I was outside of the Columbus Funny Bone, and it was in between shows on a Saturday night. And this kid came up and he goes, hey, man, I saw you last time you were here. And I was like, hey, thanks for coming back, man. And he goes, are you going to drink as much as you did last time? <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, he's not coming back because he thought I was that funny. He just wants to, you know, and I realized that I had to, something had to change in my life. And I think that was the beginning of my journey towards uh, belief in God was that if I didn't change, uh, I was going to lose my family, uh, eventually my career. And uh, I didn't want that. And uh, through his, his faith in me, uh, JP helped me overcome that. I remember this is where I was in my life. When I signed with JP he said, the first thing I want you to do is no more drinking on stage. And to show you where I was, I was like, why people love it. He goes, now he goes, what they, what you do after the show is your own business. He said, but during the show, they don't want to see some good old boy up there getting drunk. He said, they may, there may be a a faction of them that do, but, uh, and in the, you know, in in the end, uh, looking back now, uh, thank God for him because, uh, he saw something in me other than a guy that could drink tequila like water. Yeah. Not everybody can be Ron White. No, no. Uh, I certainly can't. I've been, I've been sober since 2016 myself. So it's uh, you know I what? Understand. I think I finally had to realize, Sean, is that, and I lost a sister to alcoholism. Uh, that was a real wake up call to me too. Um, it, when you think that alcohol is going to solve the problem, that's when you have a problem. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't solve your problem. It just masks it for a few hours and you do things when you're drinking that you wouldn't do normally. Uh, I, I, there's so many times I can remember being in a hotel room, sitting on my bed, looking at the phone, knowing I had to call my wife and she knew, I mean, I, the minute I said, hello, she'd just go call me tomorrow. And I thought, you know, and thank God that Gail believed in me more than I believed in me because uh, it's, uh, it's something. And plus I battle with depression. So you had alcohol and depression together. It is not a win-win. It is, uh, it's a bad end. And, and, you know, and I think that's what saved me was the fact that I found two people that believed, And I realized that there was people who believed in me and wanted me to be, uh, the bill they knew and not this bill who thought, uh, it was the thing to do, uh, you know, obviously the club owners weren't going to stop it because, you know, if I was on stage and I said, Hey, can I get a shot of tequila? All of a sudden everybody was ordering shots of tequila. And, uh, you know, that, that was a, a cash cow for them. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's the cruel twist of, of the comedy business is. Yeah. I, I, my drinking buddy back in the day was a guy named Dan Murr who owned the, he's dead now, but he owned the Tempe improv. 
I remember Dan. And he would and he would tell me about which comedians sold the most liquor and he would have them back all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh you know, it's <laughs> and I don't blame them. It's uh, you know, they're they're in the business to make money. But uh I think that what happens is comedian aside, you have to be a person and uh, you know, I, 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 and it's, it's funny now, like when I'm doing a show, if I see somebody, usually it happens in a casino or something, I'll be doing a show and I'll see somebody that's just wasted and I don't, I'm not angry with them. I just feel bad for them. It's like, I, it's like, you're missing out on something that's really fun and you won't remember it tomorrow. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately our society is geared towards drinking. I mean, you think about, Hey, let's get together and have a cocktail or Hey, come on over. We'll have some wine or it's always something that alcohol is involved in. And, and I don't begrudge people they're drinking. If you want to drink great, I mean, you know, and every once in a while I'll have a glass of wine or a beer or something, but I know now that it's one, one and done, you know, it's it, like, I'll have a glass of wine with my friends and then I'm drinking iced tea or water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just so lucky. And it goes back to, it goes back before comedy. Uh, you know, when I was in college, I, sh- I should have been dead four times over, uh, you know, because where we lived, where we went to college was dry. And so we would have to drive 30 minutes to get booze. And I, it scares me to think about the number of times I drove home like this, you know, just trying to keep uh, and it, I didn't kill myself or somebody else. Yeah. I mean, we're, I didn't mean to go into quite, quite go down this path, but it's, it's, it's making me think, you know, there were a couple of LA comedians who died mm-hmm. over the weekend from doing, uh, cocaine that was laced with fentanyl. And, oh, yeah, I just, and then we're, we're losing, we're losing comedians from suicide. We're losing comedians from COVID. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a tragic time for everybody, but you know, we're both, involved with the comedy business. So right. just well, focusing you know, the, into the, that. The, here's the thing with, I, you know, I can only, the reason I think in, in a, the music industry and uh, the, the comedy world is that the road is such a lonely place. Uh, you know, like, I don't know if I've said this earlier that, you know, when I'm on stage, I got new best friends. I got 3000 new best friends, but then they all go home and, I'm back at a holiday inn for 22 and a half hours. And, you know, it's not like, you know, you're, you can go around and see the town or what you, I don't know anybody. I don't know what, what to go see. And so you find, uh, you find what kills the pain. And I, uh, it, if you think it does, but it doesn't really. And I, you know, what's funny is you, you, some of you just said, I don't even look at this as a downer subject. I, I'm more like, I am so uplifted and happy right now, more so than I've ever been in my life. Uh, and it's because I know what's important now. Back then, I didn't know what was important. Uh, you know, my job was just to make people laugh and have have a good time and be the party guy. And uh, that that works for a little while. But then after a while, it, that devil says, nope, now you're going to pay for dancing with me. <laughs> so so when you're working with, with Jeff on his NBC sitcom in the late 90s, and the idea starts bouncing around about, your individual tours joining up to be a combo tour, which eventually begat the blue collar comedy tour. Where did you, did you have an expectation of where that would all go? No, uh, JP was the, the, the creator of that. Uh, you know, the Kings of comedy had come out and done a tour 
And we realized that that was not our demographic, but we have a huge demographic, you know, and, uh, you know, I think we all thought it'd be successful, but I mean, they're ended up being blue collar dolls for God's sake. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's insane. Uh, one of my favorite stories uh, from the blue collar tour, and this is really where, it, when I knew that it was bigger than we were, uh, for whatever reason, we were all at all, we were doing a show in the Midwest somewhere and we'd all come in from different locales. So everybody had a, a private plane and, for whatever reason, the promoter decided to get four limousines, which was silly because, you know, we all rode together. <laughs> but, but you know, we had the four limousines and we mm-hmm. had sold out this arena, uh, which is another crazy idea that comedians would sell out an arena. Uh, but after the show, everybody piled into their respective limousines and we pulled back into the airport and each limo peeled off in front of a private plane. And I looked at Foxworthy and I remember saying, this is as close to rock and roll as we're ever going to get. Uh, I mean, it was, we held the record in Nashville for selling out the Nashville arena in 24 hours uh, and held that record until Bon Jovi beat it. Now, Bon Jovi and Blue Collar do not go together. That's <laughs> that you will never hear those two words those, in the same sentence ever again. But, you know, it was a magical thing. And, and I think the thing that made it so successful was we were so approachable. We were not we didn't consider ourselves celebrities. We were just four guys who were on the road together, four friends on the road together. And they're throwing stupid money at you and you're selling out arenas. I mean, how much better does as a comedian, does it get? Uh, I don't know. Dancing with the stars, maybe. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting story. Uh, I was at, when they called, I was actually going to turn it down because I thought, Oh man, is this where my career is at now? Well, that's my question is like, how do you, how do you decide like when reality TV is right for you and which, which one of these competition shows is the one that's not going to sell yeah. your legacy? Well, you know, I give credit to my wife. She's the one who said, I think you ought to do this. I mean, it was 13 million people a week for, or 20 million people for 13 weeks. So my day was insane. I'll tell you how big it was after I was on and while I was on it, uh, when I would do a show and they would say, hey, from the blue collar comedy to and there'd be a nice applause and dancing with the stars and the room would explode. A lot of people it exposed a lot of people to my comedy that maybe had, would never have seen it before. And, you know, the reason I got as far as I did on the show was not my dancing ability. Trust me. Uh, I learned really quickly what it was. It was a popularity show and I played to the audience, which is what we do as comedians. And uh, the the actors that were on the show were just befuddled they could not figure out nor the judges but you know i was dancing with this 23 year old smoking hot british woman and at the end of the dance i'd run over and kiss this 55 year old woman who was my wife and you know every moment in america went see look he look at that see that <laughs> and you know and i wasn't you know i wouldn't you know i love my wife and i was it was an honest run over and give her a kiss because i was it was more like oh my god can you believe it i got through another week uh, and, uh, but I really enjoyed that. It was, that was a lot more fun than I thought it'd be. Now there are ones, like I got a call to do celebrity wife swap. And I said, no, we're not. <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey. Yes. Bill yeah, Engvall. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> you'll never see me on marriage boot camp or, you know, <laughs> like that. I will tell you a funny story though. On, uh, there was a brief period of time a couple of years ago where uh, a lot of people thought I was on the mass singer really? because uh, 
they uh, the 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 girl uh, who's married to Donnie Wahlberg, uh, Jenny McCarthy. No Jenny relation McCarthy. to me. Yeah. They were they were given these clues, and she goes, "Oh my God, I think it's Bill Ingvall in the banana suit." Now, how Jenny McCarthy even knew my name was beyond. <laughs> <laughs> and so then my Twitter account blew up and mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to have some fun with it. So they say, is that you on the mess? I go, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to say yay or nay. <laughs> Who was it in the banana suit? I never found out. Oh yeah. I <laughs> Neither did I. Um, <laughs> you've, uh, you know, in both your sitcom that was on TBS and also mm-hmm. Jeff Foxworthy's show in both of those, they were both family sitcoms and you got to work with, Young, young actors who became stars, Haley Joel Osment on Jeff's show, and then Jennifer Lawrence played your Jenny, daughter. I remember when Jenny came in, we gave her her first job. Uh, and when she came in to audition for the role of my daughter, uh, after she walked out, I looked at the producer and I said, and we had hired her. And I said, but she's not going to be with us very long. We'll be writing that episode where she goes off to college. Because uh, Jenny just had what it she, I hate the term, but she had it. I mean, it was just, and I think that's why America fell in love with her was because she was kind of like the blue collar guys in the sense that she was just a, it, it gave the average Joe and Jane a, a hope that, you know, that, that big things can happen. And Jennifer Lawrence, God bless her heart after winter's bone. And uh, the first, uh, uh, what was that big tri- uh, hunger game? Hunger games. Yeah. Yeah, she always mentioned my name and bless her little heart. And I'll always owe her for that one. Was there any uh, advice or counsel that you provided to these kids? Or was there anything that you saw that that showed you how to survive show business without it? The only thing thing I ever told, you know, and now obviously like Nancy Travis, who was a a seasoned actor Mm -hmm. and is just phenomenal. uh, But to the kids... Because I knew they were young, and whether they took it to heart or not, I don't know. I hope it stuck with them. But I said, you should always come to this set with a smile on your face because you're making a TV show. You're not busting rock with a jackhammer. You're not laying cable. All you're doing is showing up, and they got your coffee the way you want it, or my coffee, or whatever you're drinking. You got a dressing room, and this is this is what everybody dreams of. I mean, this when I I can remember to the day when I was standing outside the studio and my name was on those big doors at the billing ball show. And I thought I've, I've, I've found the Holy grail. I, I got there and I wanted those kids to know that never take this for granted because as quick as it came, it can go away. Well, you know, it's been 40 years for you and it hasn't gone away. You've, you've in fact been able to make the call yourself. Yeah, which uh, is you- what I think the goal always was. You know, you you mentioned being on the blue collar tour and being able to see yourself as a doll, and it strikes me. Whereas Dan Whitney, Larry the Cable Guy, has so much merchandise, and Jeff Foxworthy, lots of merchandise. You never really had a lot of merch. No. You, uh, maybe the here's your sign. Did you have stuff <laughs> for that? A little bit of stuff, but you know, it was, it was interesting. Uh, my demographic was just not a t-shirt panty hat buying crowd. You know, they just, uh, and I was fine with that because it's a pain in the butt to deal with merchandise. Uh, but yeah, I had, I kind of came to realize that that was not, you know, and Larry, God love him. Uh, he was, 
he was what the tour needed. Kind of, he we needed that character, that that you know he was everybody's uncle or somebody you knew, uh, and. I just looked at the blue call. I just had the best time uh, just because it was just, I remember I would, before every show, I'd walk to the center of the stage before anybody came in and I would just look and just go, these people spent a ton of money to come see this show. We're, you know, that, especially when you look back at doing open mic nights and midnight shows on a Saturday night when they're too drunk to even know what you're saying and here you are in an arena where people have made plans. Like I would make plans to go see Elton John or Garth Brooks or whatever. I mean, that's, that's mind blowing. Well, for your, for your next gig or your concurrent gig while you're, while you're wrapping up this, this final standup tour, you're not, you're not selling your own merch. You get to sell other people's merch yeah, with, the with blue collar auction. That, you know, when that show was pitched to me, I immediately said yes, just because it's kind of like uh, American Pickers meets uh, Barrett Jackson. Okay. Uh, it's uh, we sell everything from ca- auction off everything from cars and trucks to movie memorabilia to antiques to weird stuff. And the thing I love the most about it is my interaction with the seller because they're characters. Some, uh, I remember we had a, we had a couple come on that was all dressed in goth uh, and they looked a little old to be wearing goth, but uh, they they brought in this metal box, mm-hmm. this black metal box that had windows in it. And inside of it hung the skeletons of two bats. And I was like, where in the world did you come across this? And they said, oh, we found it at a garage sale a few years back. We said, we want to sell it now. And I said, well, what are you hoping to get for it? And they said, well, we'd like to get $500. And I was thinking, well, good luck with that. The dumb thing sold for 750 bucks. Who knew there was a bat <laughs> enthusiast in the bidding? But uh, I, I like it because you don't have to be a millionaire to bid on this thing. You know, I hope that what the plan is, is there's going to, when it premieres, there's going to be a blue collar auction website. And you can go on and bid on items that are right there. And then, uh, I, I, you know, we've had like, uh, we had Lorenzo Lamas. We had... Uh, Richard Rollins, the uh, gas monkey guy on. We had Kyle Petty auctioned off some stuff. And that's what I would love is to get celebrities to come on the show, auction off maybe some of their stuff that they don't want anymore. Uh, because there's people out there that'll buy it. I'm sure people would buy uh, Larry's old Larry's old cutoff shirts. They would pay a lot of money for them. Probably go for a lot of money. Yeah. Was there anything that was there anything you wanted to bid on? Yes. There was two things. One was a a Honda 70 trail bike that was one of the first motorcycles I ever owned uh, as a kid. And then they had a 1950 Shasta camper trailer that was in cherry condition that I would have bid on in a heartbeat. But you probably couldn't as the, they wouldn't wouldn't let me. (laughs) Uh, So I know I should wrap this up. Uh, So I want to take it back to your most recent Sunday morning with Bill. Mm-hmm. Which which you put up for uh, September fifth, twenty twenty one. For anyone who's listening in the future, you go back to that one, September fifth. Uh, that would be the parable of the talents. I parable of the talents, exactly, because you talk about how, uh, you know, you feel like God's gift to you was the gift of making people laugh. Right. And so I wonder now that you're starting to embrace the idea of retiring from comedy, what do you? 
what do you see as the talent or the best way for you to serve going forward? Wow, great question. Um, you know what, Sean? I think the honest answer is, and I don't mean this, this to sound like a cliche or a cop-out, but I, I literally am just waiting for God to show me what the next chapter is. Uh, and I, I will always make people uh, try to make people laugh and feel good, uh, whether it's through Sunday mornings with Bill uh, or some other uh, venue. But I just feel like people need levity and, and joy in their hearts. And I will I, I will continue to do that even uh, just on social media. Uh, who What the future holds, I don't know. Uh, but I know that like when I do the Sunday mornings with Bill, I always try to keep it light uh, and, and maybe have a funny story about that relates to that. Uh, because there was a long time I didn't know what my talents were. I didn't know the gifts that God had given me. Uh, and I took them for granted. And so, like I said, I don't really know what the next chapter is going to be, but uh, I'll embrace it. And uh, I will always try to make people smile and, and, uh, and, 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 and put a, a, a laugh in their heart. Well, Bill, congratulations on the career you've had thus far. And thank you for sharing a, a great conversation with me. I really, I really enjoyed it. Well, Sean, you have fallen into that category that the best ones always go by too fast. I've really enjoyed this, and I hope that we can get a chance to talk again sometime. Me too. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last